Hi, and welcome to the Progress Green Careers podcast. I'm Sandra Kessel, and I've been a journalist pretty much all my working life. I've been collecting stories of pro-green, ethical, sustainable and socially responsible careers, pathways and courses from people who really know what they're talking about. In each episode of Progress, I ask guests to tell me how they got where they are and their ideas for following in their footsteps. But you don't have to be looking for a new career to enjoy a good story, and each episode aims to inspire and entertain, as well as offer a greener way of thinking, working and living. This week's guests are Laura Yates and Leora Schlasko of the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance. Laura is the Senior Manager overseeing global professional staff diversity and inclusion at the city law firm Latham and Watkins. Previously at Clifford Chance and JP Morgan, Laura's DI strategies altered the face of recruitment for early careers, not just in the legal world, but across the city, and really shone a spotlight on unconscious bias and untapped talent. During lockdown, Laura founded the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance, which is driving eco-friendly change to early recruitment by encouraging early career recruiters to decrease their emissions. Leora is the newest team member of the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance and is its Sustainability Impact Advisor. Hope I've got that right. After studying at Vassar College in New York, Leora completed a Master's in Environmental Governance at the University of Oxford, where, among other studies, she researched the social impact of environmental policies on bluefin tuna in the Mediterranean and Japan. So welcome, both of you. I'm delighted to have you here. Laura, first, can you please tell us a bit about your job and what you do day to day in particularly diversity and inclusion, because I know that's a really big deal for you. Indeed, yes. And it's a bit of a change. So um, my day-to-day role is in this wonderful team called the Global Citizenship Team, which brings together a number of functions. It's our pro bono function, our community engagement function, our operational elements of ESG, and then where I sit in the diversity and inclusion function. Um, And I think For me, moving from an early talent role that really focused on putting inclusion at the heart of the strategy um, sees this as a really nice alignment with doing lots of those um, things that I was very used to doing as part of creating early talent strategies, but in a slightly different way now and in a global team. So, yeah, that's what I'm up to now. That's amazing. It it sounds very high powered. Um, Leora, can you tell us a bit about what you've done in the past before you joined the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance? Because I I looked at your CV and it looked amazing. Oh my God, of course. So as you mentioned, I'm from the US um, and throughout my studies there in undergrad and then in the UK for graduate school, I worked across various industries, including publishing, fashion, environmental services and consulting um, and more (laughs) for the interest of time. Um, But within those positions, even though they were in a really wide range of industries and they were quite different from one another, I always had an environmental or sustainability focused role. And that was mostly because sustainability is something that I obviously find super important and interesting. And I also firmly believe that climate action should be enacted across all and any sector, not just the areas that we associate explicitly with sustainability, quote unquote, or being eco-friendly. Um, And so, yeah, so for my background in terms of work, I've always been really open to seeking a diverse range of industries and bringing um, my kind of expertise and sustainability to those roles. I think think that's really important 
in this podcast anyway, that's what I'm trying to encourage people to realize is that it isn't about, you know, going into a, um, a wind energy producer or, you know, um, I don't know, becoming a green city councillor or something. So I think, thank you for explaining that. Um, um, Laura, can you tell us a bit about the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance and what motivated you to set that up? Was there a particular event or was it suddenly that you saw all the stuff? Because I know there's a lot of stuff around re recruitment fairs and that sort of thing. Or was it gradual change that made you think differently? Um, I think it was actually um, the, the point around uh, a physical event where I was stood in our basement in our storage room receiving delivery of that year's annual merchandise supply and the boxes just piled in and in and in and we were opening up the boxes and the boxes were all items that were covered in plastic that had been shipped from a long way away. And I think at the back of my mind, I'd been thinking for a couple of years around doing things in a more sustainable way, trying to find a different way of engaging with the student audience. And that was the pivotal moment when I was just like, enough is enough. This is ridiculous. This is not how we should be engaging with the student population. Mm -hmm. This isn't about um, uh, us positioning our brand in a way that puts us as a global uh, law firm of choice. It's not about um, upskilling the student population. It's not about meaningful engagement. So that led me to set up the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance. And really, all it is, is a commitment of signatories to do three things. Um, it's to commit to being really critical in the way that you review your processes, um, looking at what's been established practices, looking at opportunities to review those to be more sustainable and to add more value to the candidate experience. Once you've done that review, it's about reducing or replacing and feeling that you can be creative and innovative in the way that you do things differently. And then arguably one of the most important elements for the alliance is the third element, which is reporting. So it's actually saying that the action is brilliant, but what we need to do is make sure that we are accountable, we're reporting annually, and we aggregate the emissions of all of our signatories into an annual impact report. So that element of reporting um, is really important and supplements the review and the reduce and the replace. Yeah, that uh, that's so true because you can say you're green, but actually if you can't show that you're green um, and prove it year on year, then that's, that's important. Uh, Leora, um, the Sustainable Recruitment Alliance has got an impressive and a, a growing list of signatories and supporters. Um, I mean, we can throw out some big name, big names <laughs> like Accenture and Enterprise Mobility and some of the big city law firms. You're also starting to get education providers like um, universities of Nottingham, York, those sorts of things, Oxford, um, LSE, London School of Economics. Um, what difference does the Alliance's pledge to the reduction of employers' carbon footprint make? Are you actually able to see that now? Oh, my God, of course. And this is this is something that you can find on our website and through our impact reports. Um, and it, honestly, I think it's quite shocking because the reductions we've seen, they look really dramatic, especially on the tables that we've kind of published in our impact reports. Um, of course, we only represent a section of the industry, um, but from our signatories alone, if I can remember this off the top of my head, in our first impact report, the average emissions for one recruitment event was some in 2019 and 2020 was around 3.5 tons of CO2 equivalent per event. 
Um, and recruiters would go to tons and tons of events, you know, for, you know, their own, for their own companies, not even to think of people beyond the, our signatories who have joined us. Um, but our latest impact report saw that instead of the 3.5 ton average, it was 0.12 ton average per event, which if you think of that in terms of tons, but also in terms of numbers, 0.12 versus 3.5, that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of those reductions might have been influenced by COVID and by lockdowns and restrictions. Um, but I think especially as things are opening up and people are returning to in-person events, we're interested in seeing if our upcoming reports um, will reflect that we can maintain kind of COVID levels in our emissions. So are you getting that um, feedback from the students as well? Are you, you know, are they kind of looking at that? Or do you think they're being critical now of, are you actually seeing that they're, that's what they want, just as you wanted to go into something, I'm going to say green, just because that's a, an overarching word, but is that the feedback that you're getting from students when they're coming to those recruitment fairs? Certainly. And I mean, I think Laura can speak to this as well, where in our bespoke research with Sybil, where they kind of did this huge survey across um, students and universities in the UK, asking about what their perception uh, was of employers and their relationships to sustainability, um, that it's something that students care about, right? That's something that is currently on their um how do you say this, on their employer checklist, if they have one, even if their explicit interest isn't in the environmental industry. Um, and I think it makes sense because for myself, I know that something that appeals to me in work is if I can see that the impact is meaningful, right? Whether it's in sustainability or whether it's in social work or I don't know, in any field, I would hate to think that the only impact of what I do, and I would hate to feel that the only impact of what I do doesn't you know, only extends beyond four walls of a cubicle. Mm. And I think that um, today's generation really have demonstrated that through the research and also just through what I see in social media, through what I've talked about with friends. But I don't know, Laura, do you have an idea on that? Oh, I totally agree. And the amount of recruiters that will be really familiar now with candidates coming through, asking much more informed questions at careers fairs, at events, in webinars, at assessment days around um, individual companies or firms, commitments to ESG more broadly, what they're doing from a diversity and inclusion perspective, but that whole idea of organisations having social impact and that being an important part, as, as Laura said, of the checklist that students will um, consider just as they will uh, thinking about progression opportunities, learning and development, um, the, the type of exposure that they will get to clients or wh whatever it might be. It's one of those factors that is becoming more and more important. And recruiters, yeah, as I said, won't be surprised to see that coming out in, in questions that are being asked. And I think this element of making sure that individuals feel equipped with the confidence to respond to those types of questions. And that's what the Alliance is all about. It's about early talent recruiters having autonomy within what they control, their sphere of influence to make those changes, and then to be able to articulate that back to the student audience. So to be able to talk about why they've reduced the need for brochures, why they can talk about the merchandise that they have switched to or not using, why they can talk about how they commit to charity donations rather than merchandise, how they can position why they've moved to virtual events or virtual assessment days having that level of thought and being able to articulate that back to the student audience is quite a compelling sell and it's what they want to hear yeah do you do you actually think students are braver 
do you think they're you know they're actually sort of going instead of saying here I am please pick me please pick me that they're actually saying no no I've got a list of wants and needs too and and you you better meet some of those as well do you know what? I think probably not. I think look, look when we look at the research that came out of Sybil, one yeah. in 10 students will think very differently and potentially not apply based upon um, an individual uh, company or firm's response to uh, those types of questions. But that is still a really small proportion of students. The competitive landscape of graduate recruitment has never been more fierce. And actually, for many students, especially those from underrepresented groups, the need to um, get a really credible graduate program that gives them that opportunity to take the next step in their professional um, development is actually more important, perhaps, than um, their considerations around some of these factors we're talking about. That's not to say they're not important to them. It's not to say they don't care. But actually, for many of the students um, that come from those underrepresented groups, the priority is getting a well-paid, credible, quality graduate programme. You, you, I mean, you meant you've tried, both of you have mentioned the civil report, and, and perhaps I should just explain that the sustainable. <laughs> it's a mouthful. I get it wrong every time. Call it the SRA, Sandra. Yes, much right. easier. <laughs> the SRA commissioned a report last year um, from Civil, which does a lot of reports and and surveys with uh, graduates and young people. And it and it revealed that 93% agreed employers should act on the issue of environment and sustainability. Um, so, I mean, just to throw that back into the world of, of recruiters and their recruitment practices, do you think there is an onus on, on um, employers to lead on this? I think so, Leora. We've seen a really big uptick in how organisations are trying to embed some of their um, sustainability strategies into how they actually select candidates like assessment days and materials haven't we yeah 100 percent um it's becoming so infused into their work in ways that are cool because there's the practical aspect of you know buying less merchandise that we've seen but as laura said there's also the kind of conceptual aspect that's being contributed to it as well where they're now expecting um their candidates basically to be able to um to understand and learn and tackle issues relating to sustainability, which is really great. Really, really great, I think. I mean, while we're talking about, um, you know, assessments, the, there was a Greenstone impact assessment, which detailed emissions from merchandise at career, career events. And it, and it detailed how the signatories had lowered their emissions, which is what you mentioned at the beginning of the um, podcast. Um, are you measuring your own work and, you know, coming out with meaningful numbers for that too, as as the SRA? So I think the measurement piece is definitely evolving. Um, in the mm. first year, we were capturing information um, predominantly around physical merchandise, so paper um, and uh, purchased merchandise, the types of things you would expect to see, pens, water bottles, bags, that type of thing. Um, as we've evolved our thinking and as we're coordinating with our signatories, we've actually started to add in additional elements. So looking at capturing data around physical versus online events and actually looking at food production and um, food at events and travel. So all of that's actually um, 
evolving and developing into a much more sophisticated data set that we're able to produce to our signatories um, and to the wider audience around what we're doing and what we're achieving when we can think about doing things differently. Um, in terms of our own emissions, we haven't done that yet. We're a really lean team. Uh, Leora is our first hire, um, having joined us a number of months ago. So um, we haven't quite done that, but it's a really valid point. And actually, the, uh, the approach that we take to measuring our signatories emissions when it comes to early talent is something that we can look at building into how we operate as a business yeah yeah I was surprised the other day when I learned that um, companies are now measuring the impact of say their own website for example you can you can actually get a, a measurement for that which you know I hadn't really appreciated before I mean, can you can you remember I'll ask both of you but uh, speaking turn but <laughs> can you remember when you started becoming aware of the planet I mean I think Perhaps I can remember that as a from childhood, and <laughs> when you when you started to become aware of that, and your ability to make a difference to your environment, you know, recycling maybe, or walking more, or driving less, or whatever it was. Can you remember when that happened? Laura, I'm going to let you answer that because my my recollections will be so long ago. It was to do with the. <laughs> Do you remember banned CFCs? Um, and I remember doing posters in school about CFCs in aerosols. That shows my age. Um, and the fact that we didn't have any collection of recycling. So my dad had to have these baskets out in the garden that we'd put our stuff in. Then on a Saturday morning, we'd walk up to the recycling unit and post everything through, which I thought was very exciting because you could smash the bottles as they went in. But mm -hmm. Laura is going to have a much more compelling argument, I am sure, <laughs> and a story around how she, how she, how she was moved to, to focus on this area. And very quickly, Laura, just before you say that, can I just say that the person who wrote that CFC report is actually, I'm, I've am i asked her if she'll come on to the um, podcast. I love that. I can think of, I don't know, I think, as you said, it was definitely something that I was aware of acutely in my childhood, because that's just like one of the topics that I feel like people in my generation were taught and learned about. Um, but... This might sound cheesy, and I promise there's a point to this story, <laughs> but when I was younger, I had really bad eyesight, but I never got glasses until I was older. Um, and I think because of that, when I would walk around, um, I would look at trees and things, and I just didn't really imagine them or understand them as trees. They looked like like big green lollipops, kind of. Um, kind of like the type they have in that game Candyland. I don't know if you can imagine it's like a nice big green circle and then a stick underneath them. Um, and I obviously I knew that trees had leaves and I knew that they were important things to the function of them, but I could only see a leaf when it was on the ground. And so I really just didn't have like an understanding of like a significant portion of the world around me, to be honest, because I couldn't see it. Um, and I think that that in conjunction with the fact that I grew up in a city, I grew up in New York City, where I think I was more aware of social movements than I was environmental ones, um, which isn't to say that we didn't care about environmental movements. And of course, today I'm aware of the intersections between environmental and social movements. Um, but in an urban setting, the environment and nature, and then plus the lack of my lack of eyesight, nature felt really far away from me. Um, but when I was in high school, I got my first pair of glasses when I was in the ninth grade. And the day that I picked up the, picked them up from the eye doctor, I walked to Central Park in New York and I walked up the park to go home and it was a beautiful day and it was sunny and I put on my glasses and I saw leaves on trees for the first time. 
And I like looked up and I could see them floating and shimmering in the sun. And I just thought it was the most beautiful thing ever. And that changed completely my idea and understanding of like, just by virtue of being able to see it, it changed my understanding of nature and the world. So that was a really sort of specific time and timing. And that's just amazing that that's, you know, that that changed your whole awareness. I mean, thinking about your career, I mean, particularly or when you were looking at careers, you, you mentioned, you know, that that environmental thing was part of what you wanted to do. Was it hard to access? What did you what did you do to get there? Oh, that's hard to kind of I think I should kind of try and condense this, right? To make it okay. um, use like useful for someone. Um, um I think in terms of the I think the first step for any career, whether it's in environmental fields or sustainability, is there's a really important aspect of visualizing for me, right? Like me being able to see the leaves on a tree really influenced my ability to understand like, oh, this is part of a greater ecosystem that I'm connected to and I should feel empowered to act on it. Um, And so I've been really privileged in my life to be able to see all sorts of um all sorts of jobs happening around me, right? I saw people in different positions and different roles. Um, and that's a, I think that's really the first step is to understand that there's a job beyond lawyer and doctor um, that can be really important too. And then I think beyond that, at the start of my career, I, I should recognize that I was really privileged and lucky because I think the, f- the most important things that have happened to me work-wise have been related to um have been related to having a network and personally connected to people and institutions um, in ways that meant that the barriers for entries really changed for me. Um, and the first person per people, I should say, the first two people I should thank for that are my sisters, because I'm the youngest of three siblings. And I was so much more aware of the resources and opportunities that were available to me because my sisters had told me that they felt like they had missed so much. So like I have gone through life so privileged to know that, oh, there's this thing that my sister wanted to do and she, but she couldn't because she didn't know that the application was due in August that Mm -hmm. I was aware of because, you know, she had kind of walked that same path before me. And then I think beyond that too, my dad always told me, that he has this saying and it's ask and you shall receive it's really simple and I think it applies to like to life and work Um, and the underlying like logic of it is that people in all aspects of your life can't be expected to read your mind and know without prompting what it is you need Yeah. yeah and of course I say this with like a huge asterisk because I'm very privileged in that I have felt in many times in my life that my voice has been heard. And there are so many people whose voices are systematically disenfranchised. And I've occasionally been in that position. But as someone who really cares about connecting to others and living a life, to me, a good life is a life filled with empathy towards others and to myself. Um, you have to have the audacity, I think, to ask people for help or to ask them to help you, yeah. even if it's intimidating. 
And so I think that finding a position and kind of getting a start to your career is a combination of networking and realizing what is available to you, plus the audacity to act on it. Well, also there's a vulnerability in that, Laura. Laura, I think you would possibly agree that you had a position of, you came to a position or you created a position where actually your voice could be heard and you have made a difference to those who whose voices are less heard with your diversity and inclusion hat on now. I would hope so, yeah. I, I, would, I would hope that's part of my legacy, that that, that, that has been done. Um, clearly that's not always straightforward and there are lots of structural issues that still need to be addressed but um, across the board um, but yeah I would hope so. Yeah and do you remember how you what drove you to go into recruitment because I think you worked did you work for JP Morgan first and then you've I did yeah so I did a generalist HR role for a year at JP Morgan then moved into graduate recruitment and fell in love with it so um have stuck with that then for another um 17 18 years um but I think it was just saying yes to things um and just being curious and exploring opportunities and um, as Leora said, building networks and making sure that you try to utilise that, utilise those networks. Um, I stayed at Clifford Chance for 16 years and actually the importance of building internal networks to understand how I could help and um, get involved with different projects and different functions really helped build my skill set um, and helps you understand the business more widely, whatever type of business or organisation you're in. So I think being curious um, putting yourself out there, even when it feels awkward and uncomfortable and building those connections is really, really important. Do you find now with your position and the fact that you you started the SRA and, you know, and it's going great guns. I looked at your your list of, um, you know, subscribing organisations now who have signed up to the pledges. Um, do you find yourself being a little bit judgy about those organisations that don't but could sign up do you know what no I'm never going to judge and I think being in the world of early talent is always incredibly stressful um it's cyclical it's busy lots of teams are under-resourced you're constantly having to deliver um everything's candidate facing you're thinking about putting the candidate at the heart of everything you do it's not an easy role it's hugely rewarding um but it's not easy and everyone's on a journey um and we've certainly seen that with our signatories and I think that's why and being part of the alliance is so great because you get to share best practice and learn from others wherever you are on that journey. So I think just even starting to to think about embedding sustainability in what you're doing as an early talent function, and that might not be joining the alliance. It might be going to speak to your sustainability officer, your responsible business team within your organisation to start to understand what they're doing and how what you do aligns with what they do. Um, it might be as simple as that, but I think that, that certainly the power I think of the alliance is is that ability to share best practice and that's within industries outside of industries which is always useful because you can get a little bit uh, blinkered when you're in a vacuum of your own industry um, so seeing what others are doing outside of your industry can be really helpful and Laura do you you mentioned that you were you obviously wanted to go into a, a field where the environment and sustainability was key um what would you advise people who are looking for careers that align with those values to do? I mean, we know that people, have, that organisations have, you know, corporate social responsibility pages and ESG, which is environmental social governance pages. Uh, can they look 
beyond that, is there anything else they could look at? Of course, yeah, as you mentioned, going to those pages can be really great. Um, for me, the most helpful thing is it's not even finding those pages, but it's finding the organizations. That's the hardest step. And I think that the advice I would give to someone who's looking to find different organizations that could be meaningful or interesting to them is, you know, if you're looking through news articles or even Instagram and TikTok, there are so many times a day that I encounter, you know, articles, some sort of post, whatever you want to call it, on organizations that are doing incredible work, even people, individual people who are doing incredible work. And I think to myself, wow, that's so cool. I would love to do that too. And I think if you have that reaction to something, it's worth noting it, recognizing it, saving it, so that when you are looking for a position, you can kind of look in to see maybe they have something available, or maybe this person who did a really cool work has their email available on their website. What if what would happen if I reached out to them, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you can find the glory of the internet is that you can find inc the incredible things people are doing across the world, left and right. So I think you just kind of have to have to be willing to recognize where you can look. Yeah. Yeah. Are you both being positive about the future of green recruitment practices? Are you both feeling like, yeah, we're heading in the right direction? I, I think so. I think there's some superb examples of what individual organisations are doing. Much of that is led by individual team members. So thinking about how you can empower yourself to drive that change and making small contributions that make big differences is really key that's that's at the heart of the alliance it's things that individuals can do um so I, I certainly think there are some superb examples of 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 individuals making significant or small changes um within their established practices um that said, some of those established practices are creeping back. And I think the period of COVID allowed everyone to pause, reflect and naturally cut down on their activity and do things in a different way that reduced emissions. Um, it will be very interesting to see what happens with our third impact report, which will be produced later this year, as to how that tracking looks now. Um, three or four years on and whether individual institutions are reverting back to some of those established practices. Um, I hope not, but I think there probably is an element of, of people thinking perhaps some of those old ways of engaging with candidates um, that can be very emission heavy are the best way to, 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 to recruit. And I hope that's not the case. And I hope people can think about leveraging some of the amazing platforms we've seen with regards to the development of online internships, um, with regards to genuinely thinking about the, the, the meaningfulness of the engagement with the candidate and looking at upskilling that candidate and building the brand connection at the same time. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, um, but a lot of this is dependent on individuals, which is why people need to feel educated, aware and empowered to make that change. Yeah, so education is so important in that first instance. It's actually knowing and understanding that you need to do something Laura, you're young, you're in the in this job, you must have seen changes even in the last few months since you've joined the SRA. Um, are you hopeful about where it's going and positive and uh, looking to the future? Yeah, I mean, I definitely choose to be hopeful because I think that's the only productive feeling I can have about it. You know what I mean? In the face of climate catastrophe and disaster, to be scared is obviously very valid, but also 
I can sit and do nothing and be scared or I can do something small that might help someone. And that's like, does, you know, that changes the narrative. Who knows? Um, I think that in the month that I've been working at the SRA, I've been here just over a month that I've been really amazed by the creativity of some of our signatories in their efforts um, to reduce their emissions and things. Um, off the top of my head, there's one signatory that I've been speaking to who just had the most creative emission, um, their most creative emissions reducing effort that took me, someone who works in sustainability by surprise. It's not something that I had even thought of doing. Um, where instead of giving out merchandise at their table when they go to careers fairs, they have students vote. They sign up with their emails so that they get onto the organization's list to be hired. And they vote on a charity to donate money to. And whichever charity got the most votes, they would spend the equivalent money that they would be spending on plastic pens or on, um, what do you call those, stress balls. They would um, donate the equivalent money to a charity and make that impact, um, which does two things. It reduces the emissions associated with that event because they're not, you know, they're not spending money on getting plastic or on whatever, you know, materials are needed to make those pens, but they also are making a further impact by giving the money and relocating that asset to a place that could really use it and make an impact and make a difference. Yeah, so such yeah. a good idea. Such a good idea. Well, you know, I think we're running out of time, so I'm going to call it a halt there. But Leora, one thing that you're looking forward to seeing in 2024? Um, in terms of the SRA, definitely more creativity from our signatories, because that's been the thing that's really stuck out to me. Yeah. Laura, any one thing? Putting you Mine on is sorry. No, mine is so easy. It's working with Leora. How lucky am I? That is that is great. That's great. Uh, so nice to talk to you. I'm so pleased you were able to find the time and so grateful as well. And I'm sure our listeners will be um, really fascinated by the stories that you've both told. And will you please come back on the podcast in a year or so's time and let me know, you know, where things are going and how things are going? We'd be delighted to. Thank you. And for you in. As ever, I am so grateful to my guests, Laura Yates and Leora Shlesko. I thought they had some very interesting points to make about sustainability in recruitment. And I hope that's given you some insights into perhaps what you want out of an employer and what you'll be looking for next time you're looking for a job. OK, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, if you have, please recommend us um, and rate us and share and uh, come back to us another time. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.